Okay, so we've been working through John's gospel for the past five months or so, and we did take a break for Advent, but yeah, we're working through it pretty intentionally, right? This is taking a little bit of time, Um, and I think it's important for us to remind ourselves as we're getting into this of why John wrote this book, Uh, that we, we, we engage with this every Sunday, we think about it, but also just stepping back and thinking like, okay, why are we actually studying this? And, and John actually writes the reason why he, he wrote his gospel in, in chapter 20 of, of his book. And he, he says this. He says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in the, ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life by the power of his name. And so... This is the purpose of the book, that by reading it, we would come to believe or continue to believe in Jesus as God, and that we would have eternal life through him, and not eternal life in the sense of like, okay, we're going to live forever and like some weird cryogenically frozen thing or something like that, but actually as, as John defines it and Jesus defines it in chapter 17 of John's gospel as, as actually knowing God and the one who God sent, Jesus, our Savior, Right? So eternal life, what God and what John wants to communicate through this book is actually bringing us into a relationship with God the Father, this deep, abiding, loving relationship. He says that that is the purpose of why we're here. So, so pretty, pretty low stakes, right? Like, like you know, this eternal impact, this, this epic story of God coming into the earth. Who is he? What is Jesus? How do we understand him? And John says that that's the reason why I wrote this book. That's the reason why centuries later, we're here thinking about and hearing about Jesus. And so the miraculous signs that John talks about in chapter 20 actually bring us to where we're at today in John chapter 4. So in John's gospel, chapters twelve or 2 through 12, are commonly referred to as the book of signs, right? And so, and Jesus outlined, or sorry, John outlines these seven specific signs that Jesus performed. And you can see them up on the screen here. And today we're going to be looking at the second sign where Jesus heals the son of this local government official. Um, uh, and we're going to pick, or so, so we're picking up where Jesus spent a few days in this village in Samaria teaching. Um, and then he travels to the village of Cana, and this is where we pick up in John chapter 4, verses 43. Um, and here's what, what it reads. And this is in the, the New Living Translation, by the way. So at the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at, Passover, at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in a nearby, a nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, Will you believe in me unless you see miracles, or miraculous signs and wonders? Or sorry, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the, man, and the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants, servants met uh, him 
with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming to Judea. Uh, so let's pray, and then we're going to make kind of go through four observations of what John's writing here, um, and then we'll be we'll wrap up for the day. So God, thank you for your word. God, your gospel is the good news that you've passed through generation to generation, uh, so that we here today would hear. Um, of the miraculous things that you've done, Lord. And Father, I pray that in hearing this, Lord, you would stir us up. God, you would speak to us. You would show us uh, that you are God, that you are Savior, Lord, that you have come to meet us in the very places of our desperation. God, that you've come to lead us on this journey of faith. Um, And so be with us now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bless this time, um, impact us, Lord. So we love you, God, in your name. Amen. Uh, so like I said, I want, I want to make four observations um, as we're going through this. And there's a ton of stuff here. That, so I, I think just the awareness of there's so many different amazing things that we can kind of pull out of this. But, um, but I at least want to talk about four things. Uh, and the first being observation is that Jesus meets the official. He meets him in his desperation. So the story begins with Jesus returning to Cana, and as word spreads that he's back, this government official in Capernaum, whose son is dying, um, hears about Jesus. And the official was probably someone who worked for this guy, Herod Antipas, um, who was was basically the ruler of the region. Uh, And so this ruler hears about it, and he travels 20 to 25 miles, probably takes him 8 to 12 hours, to the city of Cana, right? Um, We actually got a chance to go a couple years ago to this very space and it's beautiful um, as you're kind of overlooking this whole area. But you get an idea of like, wow, that's, 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 that's not like a clip that's like, hey, I'm just going to go check out what Jesus is doing. It's like, this is a last-ditch effort. He is getting together everything to go find Jesus um, because his son is dying and he wants him to be healed. And so he finds Jesus and he begins to beg him to come with him to heal his son. He's like, Jesus, you need to come with me right now. Because the clock's ticking, my son is dying, and if you don't come, he's not going to make it. He comes to Jesus desperate and in humility, and and literally seeming like this is his last resort. Like he's tried the doctors, he's tried you know other people that might be able to do miraculous things. Um, he's prayed. I mean, he's done all the things, but he's like, this guy Jesus, I, I gotta go. I gotta go at least see if he can come because I've heard that he does amazing things. And I was, as I was processing this in my mind and putting myself in the place of the official, this question came up that I think really hits home for us today. And it's, how do we come to Jesus? How do we come to Jesus today? How have we come to Jesus in the past? Do we come, with him, to, come to Jesus with this, God, please heal my child because they're the most important thing to me. And I can't lose them. Do we come to Jesus with, Lord, please take away this addiction because if you don't, it is going to ruin my life and is going to hurt the people that I love the most. 
Is it, Lord, please show me what to do because I am terrified that if I come out to my family, they're going to reject me. Is it, Lord, please help me because I need another hundred bucks this month to pay rent and I can't spend another month in my car. See, many of us come to Jesus in the same way that this official is doing, right? We come to him because we don't have anywhere else to go. We tried the other options. We've run out of solutions. And we've come to see that we don't have the power to shift our circumstances in the direction of life, of wholeness, of peace, of safety, and that our need is far greater than our capacity to take care of it. And in these places of desperation, of pain, of, of disorientation, I think God actually gives us a gift. And it's one of those hard gifts that we receive in these moments, and this is what it is, is that he shows us that we actually need help. That we need help. That we actually need someone kind of oddly specifically like the person that we find on the pages of John's gospel. And God draws us to himself. We have this urge to seek God because we know on some level that this is the person, this is the, 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 the God that is supposed to be able to do something about this thing that I can't take care of. But another question that comes up too is like, how, how do we think about who we're coming to? So we're coming to God with this need that he can do something, but, but as we sit with that, how, how do we understand who God is? This official knew something about Jesus, right? He knew that he was able to do some cool stuff. Like, I've heard some things, and I think he might be able to help me out here, and I'm going to go check this out. But he didn't know who Jesus was. But for us, we have the gift of Scripture that gives us this beautiful illustration of who we are actually coming to in our moments of desperation. And it's this, it's that, we are coming to a God that is gentle and lowly in heart. That he invites the weary and the heavy laden to come to him to find rest. That he is compassionate and merciful and patient and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That he is careful with those who are weak and broken as they come to him. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, this in The Weight of Glory, and it's this beautiful, and I think he hits the nail on the head, that that when Jesus receives us, when we're in desperation, he's not like, all right, like, come on, like, from this place of pity. But he actually greets us with the deepest sense and commitment of love, right? And that he actually delights in us as an artist delights in a beautiful work of art that they've created, or like a parent delights in their child, and so as we're thinking about the official coming to Jesus, as we're thinking about coming to Jesus in our desperation, right? Whether that is where we have been, where we are now, or where we are guaranteed to be in, 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 in some part of our life, right? We need to know that Jesus is the one who receives us in our desperation. That this is the character of the person that the official is going to with his deepest need. That Jesus is our Savior who meets us in our deepest need as a loving God who's gracious, compassionate, and powerful. So Jesus meets the official in his desperation. Second observation that, that I think is important is that Jesus reveals what's in the heart. 
So Jesus responds to the official. So the official, and put this in your mind, like the official is begging Jesus, right? He's there, and I don't know if he's like on his knees, or he's like got Jesus by his shoulders, or he's just right up there in Jesus's face, and he's just like, "You need to come with me right now because my son is dying." And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, "Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders?" And like, how many people are like, "That's kind of a weird response." Anybody? Anybody be like, yeah, okay, Ben in the back is like, yeah, that's, this, this seems like kind of like, okay, like Jesus, are, are you like missing the point? Like, what's up? What's going on? Why are you responding like this to this guy who is pleading with you to heal his son? And on face value, that's what it can seem like. But I think it's also worth noting that Jesus has his track record of having brilliant responses two questions, right? We're going to see that as, as we go through. I mean, we saw that when he was interacting with the woman at the well. Um, we see him do this time and time again, where when he's asked a question, Jesus is, is coming into the picture with something deeper. It's like, we're all playing checkers and Jesus is always playing chess, right? That's like, that's what it is. Um, and we get some insight here from the Greek, uh, specifically in the word you, um, being translated in the plural and not the singular. So a better translation would be, will you all never believe in me unless you all see miraculous signs and wonders, right? And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's not talking directly to the official, but he's talking to the crowd. He's talking to the Galileans. And we get some insights into this earlier. He's saying, and, and basically he's saying, y'all's faith in me is based on what you've seen me do. It's not based on who I've told you I am. And you just want to see more signs. Jesus knew that the Galileans welcomed him him not because of him being the Messiah. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like the Messiah is actually here. The person that we've read about in in all of, you know, the, the scriptures. Like this is the guy. They're like, this was the dude who did all this cool stuff in Jerusalem over the Passover recently. And like, he's here, like, oh, you come into town? Like, this is going to be a show. Maybe this is going to increase our tourism, PR. We got this official from Capernaum who's here. Like, this is, like, like that's the level that they're on. Like, we want to see Jesus do cool stuff. And Jesus knew, uh, uh, he, he says this um, uh, earlier, or John writes this earlier in chapter 2, but it's this beautiful and, like, really telling um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, diagnosis of the people that were around him during Passover. And he says this, he says, Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about the human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. You see, Jesus wants he wants everybody to come to faith with him. So Jesus isn't being stingy in this, this, this sense of like, okay, you want signs? And like, I'm not going to give you signs because like, you know, I'm just going to hold them over here. Jesus isn't doing that. He wants you and I and everybody who he's interacting with to trust him as Savior. But this is what Jesus knows is he knows what's going on inside the hearts of the Galileans, inside our hearts, which can be pretty scary, right? That's like, oh gosh, like, okay, God knows all of what's happening in here, you know, stuff maybe I'm not even worried about. But this is where I, I really think we can see one of the gifts of having a God that is, is able to interact with us on this level. 
Because in the case of the Galileans, he knows that performing another miracle isn't going to do, do anything. And so he actually does something pretty wild. Is, is, as we see, he's like, go, your son is going to be healed. We'll get to that in a sec. But he does the miracle like, like he telephones it, right? He does it from far away. But he does this intentionally because he's not going to do it in front of the Galileans because he's not, he knows that that's not what they need. He sees into their hearts. He knows what they need. And he says, this that you're asking me to do, the things that you're, you've welcomed me in for, I'm not going to do that because that is not going to lead you to a truer and deeper faith. I remember a friend of mine calling me one day, and I'll never forget this. I was sitting in my truck, and, and he called, picked up the phone. He said, hey, man, I, I just want to call you and tell you that I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. And I was like, wow, like, didn't expect that we were going to have this conversation right now, but like, tell me more about that. What, you know, what, what was your story? What was your, what's your process? And, you know, he, he wanted to, to talk about this with me and, and share this update. And, and what he said was, he's like, you know, after a while, I just, I just got tired because I didn't see God helping me. He didn't see God helping him when he was in a horrible job situation and he wanted to get out. He didn't see God helping him when he was in a really toxic home environment and he needed somewhere else to go. And he saw so many people around him that God was seemingly doing all this cool stuff with. And he's like, why can't that happen in my life? And after a while, he's just like, I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop calling myself a Christian. And you know what? I heard that story, and it hit me, and I was like, I get it. I understand how excruciatingly hard that is and painful and disorienting when we're asking God, we're wanting God to, to do things in our life, and God seemingly isn't doing the things that we think we want, we need, the, the important things. Um, and I think this is one of the hard dynamics in, in our faith. And I, I don't want to pretend like these types, these questions and these circumstances aren't challenging and complex. And I don't think it's this matter of like, well, you didn't have deep enough faith or your heart just wasn't in the right place. Has anybody heard that before? I just want to name that as an element and a way of spiritual abuse. That that is, there's a fuller picture of what God is doing in our lives. And it really gets to the heart, right? And so I think in this, this process, as all of us are trying to figure out what, what does it mean to follow Jesus and how, how do we do that? Even in the mess and the complexity and the nuance of trying to understand what God is doing when we bring these needs, these prayers to him. One thing I think that is beautiful that we can take from this scripture is the reality that God knows what is going on in our hearts. That he knows the deepest intricacies of you and me. He knows what we need. He knows where our hearts are at. He's the God that says, even with a mustard seed size faith, which is super small, right? Wow, my voice did a little fun thing right there. But <laughs> that's minuscule, right? He says that type of faith moves mountains. And this is what he's saying. He's like, I know you, and I hear you. I see you to the depths and the core of who you are, and I'm lovingly interacting leading, guiding, working in your life, not in a way to withhold blessing, not in a way to bring harm to your life, 
But Jesus is dedicated to you and me coming to this deeper, this truer place of faith. And so so I want to offer that because in that disorientation, I think it's important for us to remember that God loves us, that he knows us, and that he is for us. He loves us so deeply, um, and he's not withholding blessing from us um, out of spite, out of, um, you know, this, like, you're not good enough. Um, But God is always interacting on our behalf out of love. So Jesus reveals what is in the heart. The third observation that I want to make uh, is that Jesus sends him with a promise. So uh, the official continues to plead with Jesus to save his son. Um, He goes back. He's like, okay, maybe I didn't understand what you're saying there, like this whole thing about signs and wonders, but like like eye contact, can we get back to the, the issue at hand? He's like, Jesus, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus says, he says, go back home. Your son will live. And then the official goes, which is kind of astounding to me. But something about the way that Jesus said it, maybe the look in his eyes, maybe it was the conviction of his hand on the official's shoulder that that gave the official what he needed to be like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to Capernaum. And so that's what he does. Jesus commands him to go with a promise, and he goes. And now this interaction might seem simple, but it's actually something we see repeatedly throughout biblical accounts. We see God sending his people out with a promise. Adam and Eve leave the garden with a promise that God will one day defeat sin, defeat evil. Abraham leaves his home with a promise that God will bless all the families of earth through him. Uh, Moses leaves Egypt with a promise that God will lead them, um, the, the, the people of Israel, to the land promised to Moses' ancestors. God promises David that through him he will establish this everlasting kingdom. God makes big promises to his people, and then we're sent out to go, to continue living the day-to-day as we wait and we hold on to the things that God's told us. And I'll bet the official had this sense of confidence as he walked away from Jesus. And like the like, okay, cool, I'm pumped up. It's like the, the locker room speech or like the like, all right, you got it. You're going to go go on. And he, he hits, well, it's, uh, um, it's a long journey. And so, you know, we're not sure if he stayed overnight in Cana or traveled some way and then, you know, continued. But, but he goes. And I have this, th- this, this wonder too that if as he journeyed home, did he be, did he begin to question? Did he begin to think that like is that really going to happen? Should I have brought Jesus with me? Should I have been like okay, I know you said that, but no, you really got to come? And was he thinking on some level like okay, I'm ten miles out from 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 Canada right now. I can't turn back. My son's dying. What's going to happen if I show up and the worst I feared is actually what happened? And you see, that, that deep sense of security and trust in God's promises when we first hear them is real, right? That, we, we have that fire, that security, that sense. But as we go, our human nature is to forget a little bit. We struggle to hold on to that conviction, that trust that enabled us to go in the first place. 
And maybe that's you today. Maybe you began the journey with Jesus going out into the world with the energy that, that you just felt like you could, you could conquer anything. You're just like, I, I got this. I'm so filled up and on fire for, for the Lord. But over time, something has waned in your trust, in your relationship with the Lord, that you find yourself questioning God's promises through the hard and the painful experiences of life. And you have this sense of confusion because it's difficult to hold on to God's promises now that you're at this stage or this place in your life. And for those of us here who are on that journey of laboring, of working to hold on to God's promises, I think the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians are something that that really speaks, that, that comes to mind, and that I think is important to hold on to. And he says this, He says, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He's not the one, or he is the one whom we preached to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And he's saying that God will always come through on his promises. And he looks to the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and is like, this is proof that God is legit. And I think what we see in the official story is also something we can go to when we're in that moment of like, is God really true? Can, can, I, can I go, can I trust what he's told me? Can I hold on to the promises that, um, that he said? Because this is what happens. Um, and this is our last observation, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, is that Jesus shows the power of his word. Uh, so the official is traveling back to Capernaum the day after his interaction with Jesus. And, and he's looking, he's like, those are my servants. Like, I know that they're coming up the road. These people are coming. And, and, and I would be in the place, I'd be like, okay, this can either go one way or the other. Like, this is either bad news, like they're coming to tell me something that I do not want to hear, or they're hustling because something's good. Like, I can see some dust getting kicked up. What's going on here? And so they meet him on the road. Um, and he was probably like, okay, how, like, how's my boy? Like, what's, what's going on? They're like, you will never believe this. He's healed. Like, he's getting better. He's okay. And, and the official's like, I mean, I'm sure he's through the He's just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. When did he get better? When did he start getting better? I need to know. And they tell him, they're like, your son started recovering at one o'clock yesterday. And in that moment, I have this picture of the official breaking down in just uncontrollable tears of joy for kind of like an awkwardly long time. <laughs> that, that, that he's sitting there and, and, and the servants are just like, should we, should we, we should give him some space. You know, like, like. Like, he is just destroyed in the best of ways with joy that his son is alive. And I think those tears, when I think about it, I think those tears come from the place of my boy is safe. And there's also that deeper element that in that moment he knew that Jesus did that, right? That the, the promise that he got the day before, that he'd been holding, 
you've been walking with, is this real? Is this going to happen? It was confirmed. And in that moment, he knew that Jesus' power, or Jesus' words had the power that Jesus claimed they did, right? And this is what happens. Him and his whole household then believe, right? This whole interaction, what Jesus does in his life, leads to their salvation. And so I want, I want, to, invite the, uh, I want to invite Casey back up, because as we move into this next point, um, I, I really want to, to give us some time to reflect here. And, and the fact that Jesus shows the power of his word um, is actually something we're going to see all throughout the Gospels, right? Um, that Jesus does wild things with what he says. He, like, he, uh, gosh, he turns a little bit of food into, like, a ton of food for a ton of people. Um, he heals people, right? Um, not just the official son, but we're going to see next week that um, he continues to heal folks. Uh, he calls out demons. He, he, he does exorcisms and, um, and heals people that way. He controls forces of nature, which is wild, um, and he brings people back from the dead. And we also see that Jesus' teachings, not just his acts have power, but his teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount and the story of his life, death, and resurrection, have had power through generations to literally change the world, right? That's absolutely incredible and, and a testament to the power of Jesus' words. And so I want to close today by giving us some time to spend in prayer. Um, so I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able. Um, and I want to guide us through a time of what, um, there's a long tradition of contemplative prayer where we wait on God. We ask him to speak to us. And not in the sense maybe of like this audible voice, but in our spirit, in our heart, in our mind, in our body. And so what I want to invite you to do is, is, is just close your eyes. And if you want to hold your hands out in a spirit of, um, or in a posture of receptivity, you can do that. You can have your hands next to your um, uh, next to your hips. Um, you can cross your arms, whatever feels comfortable. But I want us to come before the Lord right now to see what God would speak to us. That God's word has power to change our lives, to lead us. And so I want us to take a minute to see what, what God would have. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's God just wants to invite you to be in his presence for a minute. Maybe you sense something in your body lifting or or something about the way that you're understanding this moment is telling you something from God. So we're just going to wait upon the Lord for a bit and then I'll close this in prayer. as you hear 
God might give you a word for somebody. Might remind you of a verse that you read years ago that reminds you of something beautiful God's done in your life. God might be speaking to something that you have to do, a place that God's calling you to, something that he desires to do business with you. God might just be inviting you, like, I want to spend more time with you like this. It's quiet for you to experience my love. And whatever that is, pray that you would follow up on that, that you wouldn't let that sit in the back of your mind, but that you would actually step into the places where God's calling you to, that you would go with that promise that God's given you, that you would live into the power of Jesus's words. And as I was praying about this, I I do want to share this. I don't know if this is for somebody, but But what was coming up was that God is the God that goes before you and that he is preparing a place for you. So I don't know if that's for somebody here. But let's name the things that God is is bringing up for us. And to close, I want to lead, I want to read uh, Paul's prayer in Ephesians over us. And over you. This is what Paul writes. He says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to God, to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower your you with inner strength through his spirit, that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Then will you be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever.